Hi, One Goal community. It's Elaine Boyd, Pelotonia's Event and Volunteer Operations Coordinator. Since 2008, Pelotonia has raised over $236 million for innovative cancer research. And thanks to our partners, 100% of those funds have gone directly to research at the James at Ohio State. Together, we will see an end to cancer. To get involved in our one goal, visit pelotonia.org. That's pelotonia.org or click on the link in the episode notes. This podcast is powered by Pelotonia. To learn more about our goal 10 cancer, visit pelotonia.org or see the link in the show notes. I firmly believe that my mom's practitioners gave her the best chance for survival. And while some of us don't get the results that we want, there's going to be lots of other families who do. I ride for other families to hope that they have a different result than we did. Welcome to One Goal, a storytelling podcast from Pelotonia. We're a passionate community dedicated to funding innovative cancer research. I'm your host and president of Pelotonia, Joe Apgar. Your journey with us to the finish line begins now. Pelotonia is powered by an unstoppable community, and it's through research we will see an end to cancer. We want to thank our major funding partners for making all of this possible. The American Electric Power Foundation, Huntington, the L Brands Foundation, and Peggy and Richard Santulli. When you're done experiencing this episode, we'd be honored if you could leave a review or share it with family and friends. This really helps extend the impact of this series and helps further our one goal. And now, on to the episode. Well, we are super excited for this uh, podcast episode of uh, One Goal and, um, you know, one which is a... Uh, I think about them as as like true Pelotonia moments and sort of uh, moments of the universe, but two stories colliding and uh, sort of uh, becoming one at some point. So uh, welcome to you both, uh, Casey and Jaquela. Thank you. Thank so, you. Let's start with Jaquela. Why don't you give us a little bit of background on who you are, what you do for a living, um, where you live, all that stuff. All right. My name is Jaquela. I am a nurse practitioner oncology, hematology focused, work at the James Cancer Hospital. I live in Pickerington, Ohio, originally from Youngstown, Ohio. And um, I believe 100% in cancer research. It's it's personally and professionally my goal. Yeah, I love it. And Casey, how about you? I work at the university, I work at Ohio State, and I am the director of advising and student services in one of the colleges on campus and live in, reside in Columbus, and for, originally from Eastern Ohio, just below Steubenville. So, yeah. So let's start with Jaquela. I'm curious how you got into your line of work to become a nurse practitioner and to focus on cancer. And it's not an easy career uh, choice by any means, and uh, but it is one that I imagine is super fulfilling and, you know, you get to meet and experience a lot of a lot of really amazing things. So how did you get into to that? And did you always know that's what you wanted to do? And So I always knew I was going to be a nurse. Um, my yeah. mom told me when I was a very small child before I knew what it was, that that's what I was doing. My mom was a nurse. So I knew I was going to be a nurse. I didn't know how I would make my mark in the world of nursing. I just knew that that's what I was going to do. So I came up in the ranks um, as a nurse and then um, decided to go back to school to be a nurse practitioner. And um, 
the new James was just being under construction. And yeah. I was driving on 315 a few times, heading over to Mount Carmel, which is where I went to grad school. And I'm like, man, that building, just initial thoughts, that building is massive. Like what, they're going to be able to really do some stuff in there. And then I started seeing um, some things on the news and groundbreaking and new areas um, of research. Always been passionate about just evidence-based practice and research, but I did not know how in-depth that would be until I joined the James. The James Mm -hmm. kind of just opens your eyes to a whole new level of research and how your data collection and your patient encounters that some may take for granted, but you may be gathering research and just an assessment that's going to help somebody five, 10 years down the line. So coming into my position at the James, I was like, this is it. Like I've been called into where I need to be. My mom had been diagnosed with cancer and subsequently passed while working at the James. And Casey, you know, how'd you find your way to OSU and and all that? I did my undergrad here, um, moved away for grad school, came back to Columbus. My background is in mental health. And then I had the opportunity to switch to higher ed. And I've been at the university since 2007. And it wasn't really until my mom, she'd had very aggressive, complex cancer. She was in treatment at another facility in another state. But once we finally got the cancer diagnosis, and even prior to that, I was trying to talk her into let's get out to Columbus. I'm at Ohio State. You know, let's try to make that connection. I knew yeah. a couple oncologists at the James. And um, once my mom had her diagnosis, then we were able to get her in pretty quickly just from some of those connections I had made. And so that was my first foray into um, the James, the James community, the nurses and doctors. And so uh, that was in the fall of 2017. And that is where uh, sort of two paths start to collide a little bit between the two of you. And I'll let you sort of share and tell this background and story. But, you know, how how do your stories sort of end up intertwining? So my mom had come in. She had uh, a very rare form of T-cell lymphoma, cutaneous T-cell lymphoma, and um, was in pretty bad shape when she started. And so she was getting treatment. They started her out with aggressive chemo and her chemo rounds were like five days inpatient. And so they were really hard for her. So we went through that fall. Um, and then starting in early 2018, the chemo was definitely helping. I will say that some of the nurse practitioners later said that they weren't even sure she was gonna make it through 2017. Like her cancer was that advanced. But then it was a couple months later, she just had some additional complications. So then she was admitted inpatient for like a month. And the goal was for the early of 2018, if we could get her in a position that she would be eligible for a stem cell transplant. Like we knew that that's what her oncologist said, that's where we need to get her. So it was really working through the beginning parts of 2018 to get her condition to where she would be able to receive a stem cell transplant. And once her oncologist said like, I, Debbie, that's my mom's name, I think we can move in that direction. That's when we were referred to the hematology and the stem cell clinic. And, and Jaquela was my mom's nurse practitioner. Jaquela, do you remember sort of that time and you know, initially meeting Casey and her mom? So our history typically goes back a little bit further than what the patients recall because I know about them well before they come and, and meet me. 
Oh, interesting. Uh, so I had already read her history before the first time we met. I knew she was a nurse. You know, automatically my nurse wheels are turning in my head and I'm like, yeah, we're going to get along just fine. So I've already I've already established a relationship with her before she ever met me. <laughs> she just didn't know it. What was just so piercing about Debbie is that she knew and she had expectations and she had realistic goals. And she always wanted to just give it to me straight. She always just wanted you to tell her what was going on. And she was ready to process whatever it was. Probably after the second visit, we had already bonded. She listened with open ears. Um, She was informed. She wanted to know. She asked questions. She is what you would want a patient to be. And looking at her automatically defaulted me to Casey's shoes because my mom was in her own battle. And so I'm like, I know what this daughter feels like before I met her. I know what she feels like in terms of just the helplessness when you want to take care of your parents. So, yeah, I remember the very early on. And I remember when she found out that we were friends. (laughs) Yeah, that's such a unique sort of intersection where, you know, two daughters sort of have mothers going through a cancer experience and and sort of having two nurses at the table, if you will, you know, one unfortunately is in the hospital bed and one is, is working. And um, what an interesting experience, both as a patient, but also as caregivers and as a nurse practitioner too. What do you, you know, when you think about the time for, for both of you, and I think maybe the question of really, it's like being a caregiver, right? So Jaquela, you're, you're caregiving for a living, but then you're also you know, a caregiver to your mother and um, Casey, you know, you know, being the caregiver to your mother. Like, how do you describe that to people who've never been in that situation? It's, I think there's a helplessness with being a caregiver that is really hard. I'll just say this. Professionally speaking, when I go into a room, I try to carry the empathy and the feeling of knowing what it's like without carrying the weight of it in the room. You never want to carry that with you, but I never want to leave it behind me. And um, regardless of what the schedule looks like that day, just giving that person your time for the minute. One of the biggest things as a caregiver, you know, even being at appointments with my mom, when you hear people in the hallway and they're laughing and joking, you're like, wow, I remember when I was happy. You know, there's just such little subtleties that we take for granted when we're working that I try to never do. And not that you don't want people to be happy, but you're in a room with a provider getting the worst news of your life and you're laughing and joking. And um, I just say the environment plays such a huge part in how you can provide care to, to people. And so I try to carry that with me. I build relationships with patients and families just based on the fact that we are all going through something. Yeah, yeah, it's so well said. Casey, from, from your perspective, how do you see it? Yeah, I mean, caregiving is a challenge, I will say. Um, You know, my mom was a caregiver to her elderly parents. She had a sister with cerebral palsy. So I learned from the best. My mom was the type to kind of always be in control and she was a go-getter and a really excellent, excellent nurse. Mm -hmm. And so the tables were quite turned when she got this diagnosis and she'd never been in such a vulnerable position. You know, I immediately moved her out here with me and, you know, we started treatment and my whole life changed. You know, you don't see it coming and it just happened. It seems like it happens 
very quickly and all of a sudden, and then all of a sudden you're like constantly like appointments here and got to go to the hospital and I got to know this and I got to go to the pharmacy and, you know, you're just juggling a lot. And when you kind of step back and look at it, it's like, oh my goodness, how do you do all of that? How, how do you keep everything straight? And I look back on it and I don't know how I did it. I know that I had some assistance, like my mom, my aunt, my, my mom's sister-in-law, she lived here in town. So she was able to come because I was also juggling work too. Yeah, thankfully, trying to work, worked, right. Yeah, thankfully I worked on campus. So I would be able to like leave my office and, and run over to an appointment and then come back to my office. I mean, there was a lot of that. If my mom was admitted to the hospital, I would go straight from here to there and spend the night and then wash up there and come back here for another work day. I say all of that because I think that people have more strength than they realize. And sometimes you just go in like full auto mode. Like you just know what you have to do and you know that you love this person and you support them. And like, you just do what you have to do. I will say to kind of pivot away from that and just talk about like my relationships and the support I received from my mom's practitioners, I got strength from them as well. I got strength and support. Jaquela mentioned like that empathy piece, that empathy piece is so key. That degree of compassion and care was just unmatched. Yeah. It's interesting. I've had a chance to to talk to a lot of survivors who have, have been patients at the James. I, I kind of smile when I say this, but it's like, it's, it's not what people expect. But when you ask people who have been at the James, what they love about it, you know, the media talks about the world-class doctors and the world-class researchers. Every single person who's been a patient at the James will say, the doctors are amazing, but the people who take care of you inside that building are the best people in the entire world. People don't think about that when they think about a hospital. Like, what makes a hospital great are the nurses, nurse, nurse practitioners, and it's the janitors and the people that clean your rooms and the people that try to put a smile on your face when they come to get the trash out of your room. I'll just, I'll just add something to that. Honestly, if you're a person, you're a nurse, you're a housekeeper, a janitor, you mentioned it, they are easier places to work emotionally, right? That's what the James is, though. It's, it's surrounded by people that share that one goal, right? Cliche, but true, that are passionate about making that difference for people. My mom died at 64. She was sick at 61, 62. And... Um, I had 18 months. I'm here to tell you that if it weren't for her oncologist, Dr. William, and people like Jaquela and some of her nurses and all of that, she would not have had 18 months. Like her cancer was so rare and aggressive. I firmly believe that my mom's practitioners gave her the best chance for survival. And so even though it didn't turn out the way that I wanted it to, and there's a lot of other families who have the same result. I ride for other families to hope that they have a different result than we did. Because yeah. this is bigger than me. This is bigger than Jaquela and her mom. This is this is this is just bigger than us all. And while some of us don't get the results that we want, there's going to be lots of other families who do. And I want to just increase that. There needs to be more and more families that have those favorable favorable results and fewer families that don't, because that's what this is all about. That's a good transition to, Casey, I know your first Pelotonia ride was in was in 2018. And, um, you know, while your mom was 
uh, still undergoing treatment and, and her care and sort of what led you to to sign up and, you know, do everything to show up on, on Ride Weekend in August? I had seen it for, for years and that 2018, that was the, the 10 year anniversary mm-hmm. ride. And so I thought, you know, what, what better time to do this than, you know, my, my mom's going through this treatment. And so I want to give back. Even at that time, we had been at the James for about a year at that point. I felt like, you know, this this institution has given us so much. And so this is a small way for me to give back. You know, it's not just our family. It's for, for thousands and thousands of families out there that need this kind of research. So I'm going to do this. And so I did some research and I figured out like what uh, like a Peloton actually was. I just kind of dug around on on Facebook and some social media and I found the lymphoma Peloton. Mm-hmm. Then I started seeing like on Facebook, some names that were familiar to me, like, oh, I think that's my mom's dietitian. And, oh, this is a case manager. Like I just recognized names and I just kind of blindly sent an email and said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm interested in joining this Peloton and the team captain replied back, we'd love to have you. This is awesome. Then like literally a few weeks later, I walk into the di- my mom's dietitian appointment and that was the team captain. So like oh, I met funny. her, I met her before, you know, even riding in, in one of my mom's appointments and ride weekend. I mean, it was very emotional. I'd never done anything like that before. They're just all here for why I want to be here. And it's to raise money because we all know people affected by this horrible disease. Yeah. So do you remember anything from that first ride or crossing the finish line or, you know, what you thought about during the ride? I will say my mom was inpatient at that time. She was prepping for a stem cell transplant. Okay. And uh, I remember it was like the last couple miles. And right when you go through Pickerington, there's usually kind of a group of, you know, what I would call tailgaters and they've got music, you know, music going. And it was um, Katy Perry's Roar and they were playing it really loud. And I was just kind of like listening to some of the lyrics and like this, just I, this flood of emotion came over me and I like cried for the next two miles because I, th- I kept thinking like, if my mom can endure all of the things that she's endured, mm-hmm. then I can get my butt to this 25 mile finish line. Those days that she didn't feel like getting up and going to see Jaquela in the clinic. Jaquela, you know, obviously you had heard about Pelotonia and I think when, you know, you work in the James, especially it's sort of all over the place. And I'm curious, you know, your vantage point as being a nurse practitioner at the James, you know, seeing, you know, one of your patients, uh, daughters going out and riding for the first time and having this experience, you know, at some point you caught the, the bug and yeah. you were like, I've got to do this. I always had the bug. My day one orientation, they used to do a Pelotonia uh, presentation for new hires when I started. I was like, I'm going to do that one day. So then I, you know, over the years, I had looked at it a few times. But what was most intimidating was the fundraising. I just imagined like, okay, I'm working 60 hours a week. At the time, my daughter's playing travel volleyball. Okay, what happens if I don't have time to get out and fundraise and things like that? So 2020 the year of COVID is when I was like, you know what? Of course we signed up pre-COVID, but I was like, I'm going to do it. I'm doing 50. I'm going to get into it. And then um, I had mixed emotions about the event being turned into virtual. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) 
the outside, this is a guilty confession because I didn't say it. everybody was like, I'm so bummed. And I was like, well, you know, I've got mixed emotions about it. The upside, I had already made my fundraising goals. So I wasn't worried about that, but it was motivating me to go out and do the training rides. It would, I would, just like Casey said, I'd be thinking about people anytime I didn't feel like going out. I would like, this, this is nothing compared to what they're going through. I came into 2021 saying, there's no way I'm not doing it. I signed up on the first day. I was like, I'm going to kill this. And I think just having the big picture of where the money actually goes, I was like, I'm going to pedal my, I'm going to pedal to my legs, can't pedal anymore. And and that's what we did. You know, I think at at the core of fundraising, and there's always the personal story, right? Which you both obviously can share, but um yeah, what, what sort of fun things have you guys done from a fundraising standpoint? A solid majority of my fundraising comes from asks to friends and family, mostly through social media. I think that people are more generous than we sometimes think they are. And I always tell people like, you know, even if you don't donate, I know you still support cancer research. So it's if you're able to give great. And I'm appreciative and and whatnot, but even if you can't give like, that's okay. So this is not like a high pressure ask. This is if you feel so inclined. And so my experience is there are several people who are so inclined, like cancer doesn't discriminate. Cancer is just everywhere. And so I think that people, it's easy for people to really kind of get on board with that and say, this is something that really impacts the greater community the monies and the research, it not only helps the central Ohio people or the state of Ohio people or the United States of America, this research is, is global. And so people are willing to give. Yeah. Jaquela, what about you from a fundraising standpoint? How, what sort of got you over the hump and sort of made you realize you could, you could do this? The first year there, I think I hit my goal within like two weeks. It was, oh, wow. That's it was awesome. It started initially as just like potluck lunches, which I mean, think about in the cold winter months, if you want a bowl of chili, pretty inexpensive to do that, right? You can make that in large quantities. You can sell that for lunch. You can have big sales. I have a lot of friends that love wine. So I've been um, historically purchased some like wines that are a little bit harder to get a hold of and done raffles. Oh, cool. There's a lot of people, you know, that I know that enjoy bourbon. So I've gone to a bourbon trail, picked up a pretty exclusive bottle and said, everybody that bids on this or wagers will be put in a raffle. Um, so a bottle may cost you $60 and you may get 50 people to, to, to donate what they would have donated for free, but some encouragement. So I would just say that there's, there's ways to encourage people to do things that they're willing to do for free, but just by incentivizing some of those things. Yeah. My daughter, I don't have it on today, but They made bracelets at one point. If you name it, think of it, we've done it. Let's talk about 2021 and sort of the ride and Jaquela is your first in-person ride experience. And it was so fun and like just so invigorating and so inspiring to see the community come out in the way the community came out. But would love to hear from your perspectives what this year was like. So let's just take it back to opening opening ceremony day. So I was so pumped. I was like, I'm going to go. Lore.com. I went over there, had a great time, ran into several patients, several family members. It was just awesome. So as I'm leaving the opening ceremony, 
I'm walking out and I look over and I'm like, that's Casey over there. I hadn't seen her. I don't I don't know the last time I had been since I saw Casey. I was like, that's Casey. And my daughter's like, what? And I take off running. She's like, Mom, where are you going? I'm like, Casey, I'm all tackled her down. I'm just so happy to see her. And I'm like, what are the chances of all these people here that I would run it, like that I would see you? Um, so that was my aha moment of 2021 race. Just like, we're all connected. That by far seeing you was the highlight of that entire weekend for me. I did not think that we would see each other ride weekend just because of how sizable it is, right? And so the opening ceremony is just emotional anyway. You know, it's just, you're charged up, you're heading into this weekend. And actually I, I always bring to opening ceremony uh, a friend of mine who whose mom also was treated at the James who had passed like six or seven months before my mom. She was there and she knows how emotional it is for me. And then I, I see Jaquela and like, I just, just all of the tears. I mean, just because it's, it evokes such an emotional response because kind of going back to what we were talking about a little bit earlier, that this was a journey that I felt like that we shared. And so I hadn't seen her for, Jaquela, I actually think the last time I saw you was when you came up, yeah. right? Like two days before my mom died. And, you know, you came up to see her, we were in the ICU, and I remember that crystal clear and the the emotion that evoked. And then so seeing you two plus years later at such an emotional event anyway, and then knowing how I, how I feel about you and the appreciation and love that I have for you, it, and it, it just all kind of came together in that moment when we saw each other at opening ceremonies. And it just, it was so emotional. And that sustained me for the rest of the weekend. I really took the energy from that into the ride the next day. Same. So this episode is gonna air right after National Caregiver Day, actually, which will be really, I think, wow. fun and uh, a really special way to honor you know both of your mothers but honor the two of you as well and you know i'm curious as you you know have an opportunity to reflect on on that day and you know there's a there's a day for everything now um as we all know but national caregiver days you know in the cancer community just i think something really special and sort of the unsung heroes you know of of the cancer community are the are the caregivers and you know i guess what advice would you have or what would you say to you know somebody that might be going through it what would you tell them? I would say lean on your support system. A lot of times, you know, fathers and sons and mothers and daughters have these bonds that you want to just pick up the whole world and do it all. There is no shame in using your support system. You cannot be uh, the best caregiver possible if you're not cared for. Get help that you need. Take care of yourself so you can help take care of your family as well. Yeah. yeah, I would agree with that too. And, and not thinking that, you know, you can do it all. If you have people around you, like you don't have to do it all because as a caregiver, you can feel so overwhelmed and feel like it all rests on your shoulders. Well, that's amazing. And the two of you are uh, both incredible people. And uh, I think symbolic of, of the Pelotonian community too. And just, you know, uh, the people you get to meet on ride weekend. And there's so many amazing stories like this. So very much appreciate both of you taking the time to to join me on this podcast. And I still 
uh, I'm smiling here because you both wore the same shirt and you each had no idea that you would do that. So there's, there's something in the universe telling you guys um, that's, that's connecting you and which I think is super special. So thank you both. Thanks, Joe. Thank you so much. Hugs. Casey, give me a hug. Love you, girl. This has been One Goal, a storytelling podcast from Pelotonia. I'm your host, cancer survivor and president of Pelotonia, Joe Apgar. Interview and production scheduling by our marketing and communications team, Gabby Blauert, John Tolbert, and Alita Smith. One Goal is carefully crafted and produced at the studios of Wessler Media. Mastering by Joey Gerwin at Orange Judio. Special thank you to all of our guests for being willing to share their inspiring journeys for this podcast. Also, please rate, review, and subscribe so you can get seasons one and two, as well as future episodes. If you want to learn more about the Pelotonia community and how you can make an impact on cancer research, see the link in the show notes or visit pelotonia.org. That's pelotonia.org.